0: Clicked it on too early there. You have to make sure you're on the stage, otherwise uh, squeals. Hey everyone, good to see you all. Um, as Jesse just said, we are going to be picking up the action where we left off last week. Uh, we are in chap- the chapter of the Bible, uh, often referred to as like the Mount Everest of the Bible. It's the, it's the highest peak of the Bible, Romans 8. And so uh, I'm very excited to be here today, and I thought Matt did a great job of, of launching us with that first verse last week. Let me read it. We're going to be doing um, just a few more verses today. We're meant to do a bigger bigger chunk, uh, but we're, we're going to slow down a little bit and just, in, just enjoy the start of this chapter. Uh, so let me read to you from verses 1 to 4. You'll we'll see who remembers to do the thing. Ready? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you missed last week, we decided that there's a new inaugural tradition, which is that no one can read that verse out without it being amen, preferably by a large group. And so well done. You remembered. Uh, We're going to do it again a lot, (laughs) just for the record. So stay on your toes. Um, I can't promise that I won't just bring that up randomly. Um, Verse two. So, yeah, so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For, thank you, <laughs> guys has got my back. For the, spirit of, um, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray again together now. Lord, help us understand what it is you have to say to us today in these verses. Lord, would you still our hearts? Would you, uh, would you receive our attention in a way that maybe we, we can't actually give you, Lord? Would you help us uh, focus on you, Lord, right now? Focus on your word. Open up our hearts, Lord, to hear your truth, your encouragement, Lord, your, your, your rebuke, if necessary, Lord, in these verses. So, Lord, would you speak clearly today to us, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Matt, last week, he kicked us off with verse one. (laughs) Here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So good. Right? This verse is a treasure to me. This verse has been... uh, a real source of strength, and I pray it is for you as well. Uh, if you missed last week, go back and listen to it on the, uh, listen to it on the podcast. And, um, and yeah, just get encouraged by what it is God has done for us. Uh, but what, what, what we talked about last week, if you missed it, was how um, kind of like just like the humidity on a uh, stormy, kind of soupy Brisbane summer's day before a storm, just like that humidity, we kind of live our lives underneath this, like, heavy, wet blanket of condemnation, sense of condemnation. It, it just kind of sits there and engulfs us. Uh, the the opinions of others, uh, maybe the expectations of our parents and our um, family, the opinions of, of co-workers and our friends and our um, the people love them, let's be honest, like they're not really our friends, but we don't even really like them. But they're like, their opinion still matters to us for some reason. <laughs> Those people. Um, on top of that, like the expectations we put on our own shoulders to measure up. And of course, then as we read the Bible, the, the expectation of God's law as well upon us. All these things, they kind of mount onto our shoulders and, they, and they, um, we live under that weight of kind of just condemnation sense of condemnation they speak a, a word of con- condemnation over us such that we kind of like live with this low grade fever of guilt and unease and kind of vague disappointment in ourselves and ever since ever since really adam and eve were created and heard that pronouncement over them very good we have been waiting hungry for that very same affirmation over us that we're okay, that we are very good. Right down deep in those levels that we can't even like access because they go go beneath our kind of our rationality, we walk with that limp of just feeling off, feeling broken, feeling like we do not measure up. And so we turn to all sorts of places to try and feel like it's okay, right? We 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 um. We go after the girl or the boy or the house or the job or the bank account or the dog. Cat's less so. <laughs> I'm a cat person, but cat's less so, right? Um, we, just, we just we just, keep trying all these other things. We turn to all these different places. We, we try and fix the problem. And really, it's, it's all just functioning as a proxy, isn't it? All, the, all, those, all those things. It's all proxy for just trying to fix whatever feels off so that we just know that we're okay. And then, of course, the good news comes to us in in the gospel, in Christ. The good news comes to us and tells us in Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, that is good news when you're used to living a life of feeling a sense of condemnation. That is good news. And the the message isn't simply, as Matt said last week, not just that there's less condemnation. That would be good news, too. But that's not the message, not just that there's less condemnation. We don't come to church and sing songs about how Jesus paid it all, except some. Jesus paid most of it. Jesus paid it all. We don't say Romans 8 verse 1. We don't say there is therefore hopefully one day a little bit less condemnation for those who can start making better decisions. That's like the photo negative of Romans 8 verse 1, isn't it? Don't you dare believe that. Don't you dare amen that. And so we live with this kind of, I just don't feel like God accepts me. And Romans 8 verse 1 gives us this balm for the soul. I once had a conversation <laughs> with someone who has been in church for literally decades. And as we're talking through faith and life and such, um, they revealed that they, um, they've been kind of haunted by something a pastor said in a sermon about how there isn't any pur- like purg- that purgatory is not biblical. Like, that that kind of haunts me because, I'm paraphrasing here, because I, like, I know I'm not going up there and I really don't want to go down there. And so like, the idea of like a middle ground that I feel like I kind of deserve kind of sits well. And so in the past, that, that's not a thing. <laughs> two, 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 two destinations for every human being. This person's been living with a sense of condemnation. What purgatory is, if you don't know about purgatory, is it's a kind of a way, kind of, it's like, okay, when you you die, you don't go to heaven because you're not good enough for heaven. You need to kind of work off some sin first. You need to kind of let God finish the job, purifying you before you can kind of enter his presence. And you end up with this kind of like this godless heresy that denies the gospel. It sounds humble, I think. It sounds humble that like, Maybe one day I'll go to the middle place rather than heaven. But what it is, it's denying. It's denying that Christ has paid it all. She's saying that she needs to help God out with her salvation. If the cross wasn't enough. The suffering of Jesus wasn't enough. That there is still some left to do. That there is still some condemnation for us. Have you? Maybe, okay, maybe, maybe you're like, okay, I know that that's wrong. And I know that that's not kind of how I live my faith but I wonder what your relationship with guilt is like. It can be exactly the same kind of thing, isn't it? Do you insist upon beating yourself up before you come to Christ in repentance? Is that part of the routine for you? Because really, it's just the same thing. One, one scholar Mount says this, he says, to insist on feeling guilty is but just another way on insisting on helping God with our salvation oh, how deeply embedded in human nature is this influence of works righteousness. It just goes so deep. We just feel like we have to do a little bit to help God. And so I said to this person, no, Jesus teaches us, right? That we are accepted purely because of what Christ has done for us, that he has paid it all, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and that, thank you, and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no condemnation left. Right, It's all been paid in Christ. And so the real question is, are you in him? Have you received him by faith? Have you had your sins forgiven through the cross? Have your sins been paid for in the cross of Christ? And are you now today walking by faith in him? Okay, walking by faith in him. Romans 8 today is for us today so that we might know deep down that you might have a, a rock-solid assurance of your salvation you can have that you can have it you can know fully truly deeply like really holy deep down that you are saved you really can and it's not pride it's faith we're taking God at his word when we believe that today we can know by grace and his promises that there is now no condemnation So Romans 8 for us, it's God trying to make it as simple as possible, make it as clear as possible, make it as obvious for us as possible what is going on. He's saying to us, listen to what I'm saying. If you are joined to me, if you are in Christ, you are saved. Simple as that. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our problem is, as Matt said last week, we just struggle to really comprehend that. We really do. We really do. We just don't, like we maybe agree with it on an intellectual level and we go, yes, I see it in the word. I believe that it's true. And yet we fail to apprehend it on a actually personal level. So we believe it conceptually, but not personally. Intellectually, but not in our, in the, in our guts. That is true for us. And so we kind of stay trapped in the cycle of, of, of sin and the cycle of works and we spin our wheels and we kind of, we, we, we fail to see real kind of transformation in our lives because we're trying to work our way up to God through the wonder of, through the flesh. And then we kind of, when we struggle, we're like, well, at some point surely God's has got to get done with me, right? At some point God has just, like, has, is he done with me by now? I wonder if that questions ever crossed your mind. Our text today, these few verses, begin to show us, and it'll continue through the Book of Romans I hate, in particular, that begin to show us how it is that we can actually get traction for living a new life in Christ. How it is we get traction for a, a new future in Christ. We start with verse one, what Matt said last week, this new verdict. New verdict, new pronouncement of real life, n- no condemnation. New verdict, a new location. Where are we now? We're in Christ. Or as Matt said, we're in the lunchbox in the backpack. Um, In Christ. Verses 2 to 4, which is where we are today, are going to help us see firstly the the, the how of this new verdict, this new verdict of no condemnation, how how it is that can be true. Why can that be true? How can that be true? And secondly, the results of that new verdict. Like What does it do? What is it for? Is it an end to itself or is it something bigger that it's actually pointing towards? And so this is where we're going to be heading in our time this morning. So let's go from verse. Let's do it. Verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you very much. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Let me just, I, th- I think the way he's using the word law there isn't, he's not talking about the Mosaic law. I think he's talking about like the principle, right? But he's using the same Greek word. It's like the principle of the spirit of life has set you free from the principle of sin and death. That's the, that, like, I think those two go together. Um, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, so we're just going to think through the the logic of these verses. They're a little bit, I've read them a thousand times, so I can kind of see them clearly now, but they're a little bit jumbled, I think, and take some time thinking through. So um, just think through the logic with me. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Verse 1, how? Verse 2, for the spirit of life has set us free from the power of sin and death. The Spirit has done. These He's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has set us free from the power of sin and death. Verse 3, 4, God has done. If you're, if you're like a, if you're a Bible note taker, like circle those, underline those, whatever you want to do, this is the gospel in three words, isn't it? God has done. This is what God has done, not what we have done. This is what God has done. The gospel is about what he has done for us on our behalf, not what we have done for him. God has done what? The law. This is, he's talking about his own perfect law, his own perfect decrees. What the law, his own good and perfect law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. God's law could never save us. God's law could never save us. The, the, the it The fault was never with the law. Do you see how it's saying that? There's no problem with the law. It was weakened by the flesh. The problem is with us. We cannot save ourselves through our obedience, even to God's perfect law. We need more than just being told what God wants from us. By now, in chapter 8 of Romans, that message is like a broken record. Am I right? You read that and you're like, yes, we heard this week in, week out, week in, week out. Four months. We cannot rescue ourselves through obedience to the law of God. And so we go, yeah, 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 I've heard the speech. I get it. You don't need to tell me again. But then what do we do? We go give it another red hot crack that week. Okay, so look. whenever you see this kind of like level of repetition in the Bible, it's because God's trying to make it really clear. and He's trying to say something because we really need to hear it again and again and again and again and again. He knows... That we are hardwired against this. We are hardwired to live towards this works righteousness. It's just in us. We need constant reminding that this is not how it is that we live. And really, this is this is the the one thing. This is the the little nugget that puts Christianity against every single other religion, worldview, religion that possibly exists. They all have this kind of element of self-salvation. Here's the conditions you need to meet for salvation of self. Let me show you th- this from an a, 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 a Islamic scholar talking about Christianity. I thought this was cool. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to give it a crack. Ismail Raghi a. Al-Faruqi. Yeah, let's go with yes. If you're listening, Ismail, I'm so sorry that I just put you your name. This is his quote, okay? Islamic scholar talking about Christianity. He says, he says this, This is why, for a Christian, the very fact he is a Christian, that is to say, the very fact that he recognizes Jesus Christ as Redeemer, weighs heavily in the scales. It gives him the assurance and the poise that comes from such assurance that he is saved, already passed deep into the second zone and not merely lifted out of the first. Islam, and fill in the blank with every other kind of flavor of religion, holds no sweet immediate recompense to give its convert gratuitously upon conversion on the contrary, it tells him point blank that his acceptance of Islam, in this case, puts him squarely in the zero zone and lays out before him the arduous road of the sharia, the sharia or divine law, which he has yet to tread in order to lift him out of the zero zone by his own efforts. That kind of path gives you no assurance of your salvation. No assurance of anything. You will live your life in fear of failure. You'll go to sleep every night, wake up every morning. Is this the day where I finally ruin it? And I fail. And God rejects me. Tomorrow is just another day for you to fail. would not that... I mean, some people live their Christian life like that. Romans come to, comes to us and says... Guys, it's actually worse than that. It's actually worse than that because you will fail by yourself on your own. It's not an if. You will fail to meet God's standard on your own. And so Christianity, you don't need to just be told to do better and be better. That's not what Christianity is fundamentally. It's not fundamentally about being better and doing better. It's about news of a savior, news of salvation. The gospel is news of your savior. Verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. This is what he's done. So we're going to hear three things God has done for us. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Three things. First one, Christ sent by the Father. Do you see that? Sent by the Father. God was not content to see us struggle under the curse of sin and death on our own. He sent Christ, the second member of the Trinity, to be our Redeemer. First thing he did. Second thing he did, Christ became human. Do you see that little phrase? Uh, Where's the phrase? In the likeness of sinful flesh. He was one of us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time, right? He was one of us, but he he wasn't weakened like we are by this, by sin. This is what we sin sing. This is what we sing, um, not sin. This is what we sing nostalgic songs about every year at Christmas time. This is uh, this is why we lie to kids about strange old men breaking into the house, hiding mysterious boxes. I I don't know how that's connected, actually. Um, Second member of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, made flesh, taking on flesh. These are the famous words that we sing every year, Charles Wesley. He says this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. We're gonna be spending all our December reflecting on this part of the story. So I'll leave it for then the third thing that Christ has done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This little phrase is really important here. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The ESV, to their credit, stick to their guns and go with the most basic wooden translation. Some of the other translations, they're going to kind of put a little bit of extra help in there and say, um, as a sin offering. So that's what the meaning of the text is, right? The NIV, CSB, and others, as a sin offering. He condemns sin in the flesh. He's saying that the death of Jesus was for your sin. It was for your sin. In his death, Christ was being condemned for your sin. Your sin was. Upon him. Jesus died the death of a liar. Jesus died the death of an adulterer. He died the death of a thief, of an idolater, of an of a coward. Fill in the blank. This is the death Christ died, he was being condemned for our sin which means that our sin has been paid for in Christ. We are free from that penalty of sin. This is why there's no condemnation left. This is why there's no condemnation left, right? It has been condemned in Christ. Uh, Martin Luther, he tells a a story of a a dream he had, um, of where he's being, in, in this dream, he's being harassed by Satan himself. And Satan's got this scroll, endless scroll, of all of the sins of Luther. He's waving it in front of his face, threatening him with it. And it's, well, it's documented evidence of Luther's depravity. Real and true things. And in the dream, Satan comes to him and says, uh, hey Martin, did you commit all these sins? Is, is this true? And Luther, he's, he's tormented by this dream. He has this dream uh, again and again. And eventually he says... It is true. It's true. Every every single word of it is true. But right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's true. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So this is what he says to us today. He gives us advice. Luther says this, and I'm quoting him now. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? (laughs) For I know one who suffered and made atonement on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Preach it, Martin. What of it? I know the one who has suffered in my place. This is why later in Romans 8, we hear this from Paul. He says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What of it? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's not going to hold out on us if he's given his best already. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to who's bringing a charge? It is God who justifies, who's there to condemn? Listen, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and he's at the right hand of God and right now he's in, interceding for us. Who is there that's bringing a charge of your condemnation? Christ has died life. And he's at the right hand of God interceding for us. There is no one left to condemn. One more. This is from Spurgeon. He says, when I think of my sin, it seems impossible that any atonement should ever be adequate. But when I think of Christ's death it seems impossible that any sin should ever be great enough to need such an atonement as that. There is in the death of Christ enough and more than enough. There is not only a sea in which to drown our sins, but the very tops of the mountains of our guilt are covered. Amen. Amen. Friends, your sin is dealt with fully and finally in the cross. It truly is. It truly is. You are free. This is what God has done. This is what God has done for us. He has freed us from our sin. Has this begun to sink into your soul yet? That's the question. Has this begun to affect your heart? Have you received this good news for yourself? Have you put your faith in Christ to receive this? Has this changed your world? Cross is good news for us. There's no condemnation. Verse 1, new verdict, no condemnation. It reveals our new location in Christ. And finally, we're going to see a new life in the Spirit. God is done with the law. Weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. This is the how, right? The how of our new verdict Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the purpose, the results of that new verdict. Verse 4, it starts with this really important phrase, purpose clause, in order that. So the thing preceding is for the purpose of the second thing, right? Jesus has rescued us from our sin for the very reason that the law might be, what's the word, fulfilled in us. Fulfilled in us. Because of Jesus, the actual good and the actual righteous intent of the law might now begin to start being worked out in our our real life. You see that? Which means that God is doing something. He's not just doing something for us. He's actually now doing something in us as well. This is this is really important that we that we grasp this. God is doing something in us. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a Christian by faith. You've received the Holy Spirit. And he's at work in you. He is doing something in you. What is he doing? He's making you holy. He's transforming you from the inside out. He's growing within you the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's building these things in you. Which is to say that he's he's making you look like Jesus Christ. That's that's his end goal. That's, That's his purpose. That's why he has rescued you. So that you might look like Jesus Christ himself. Might be transformed to look like you. This is what Tim Keller says on this. I love this. He says, The thing Jesus lives for, the purpose of his entire life is to make us holy, fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. And if that's true, then this next part's true, which means whenever we sin, we endeavor to frustrate the aim and purpose of the entire life, death, and ministry of Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't work as an incentive for holy living, (laughs) nothing will. Do you see that? If Jesus' goal in dying was to rescue you so that you might be transformed, we war against him when we continue in patterns of sin. We frustrate his aims for your life. Praying the prayer, God, what is your will for my life? Does no good if you're walking in patterns of sin and denying his, his revealed purpose for your life already. His life was to make us holy. His death is to make us holy. And now, the giving of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy, to transform us by grace. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit we can be made new we will spin our wheels indefinitely where we continue in the power of the flesh. So, Romans 8, if you want to know what it's about, it's about the Spirit. In Romans chapters 1 to 7, so the previous seven chapters, mentions the Holy Spirit five times. Romans 9 to 16, so the next, how many chapters that is, eight chapters, seven chapters, mentions the Holy Spirit seven times. Chapter 8, this chapter of the Bible, mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times. The Spirit is the mega-theme of Romans 8. If anyone asks what's Romans 8 about, it's about the Spirit. It's the easiest, most obvious way we can communicate what this is about, which means, this is true, What we're saying is that the gospel isn't just maybe what we reduce it down to in our heads sometimes, that God has rescued us from our sin. That is reductionistic. That is not the whole story. The gospel is not just about what God has done for you in Christ, in the cross. It's about what God is doing in us through the Holy Spirit now, day by day, moment by moment, as we walk in faith. He empowers us to live by the Spirit so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is just what the Bible has always been pointing towards. This is what Jeremiah prophesied prophesied about in Jeremiah 31, 33. He said this. He said, For this is the covenant I will make with you, with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you see that? the law in us, the law on our hearts, the Lord now like part of who we are. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. Isn't that awesome? We believe that here. You don't need to come to the pastor to know the Lord. They will. You, you can know him through the word of God, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They shall all know, them, know, know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Why? Because he has condemned sin in the, in, in the, in the cross. So, as we begin to wrap up. Today, we need to once more together admit our need for the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Receive the promise of forgiveness in Christ, yes. Receive the promise of the Holy Spirit as well. There is something about accepting our need and our brokenness that just works. Do you know what I mean? God has made it that way. That when we are at our weakest, we are at our strongest when we accept our brokenness, it just it just works. It opens us up to God in new ways. It prepares us for the, war, for the work of the Holy Spirit in new ways. And so today, we're just going to end as I might get the band up to um, get ready for our response. Um, today, if, if, if you feel that sense of perpetual condemnation, if you feel like you are not getting any traction in your pursuit of God and in your Christian life, if you feel like holiness is something that is just well and truly on the back burner, (laughs) maybe today's the day you pray with me. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. If you're a Christian here today who's been born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. And yet, in Ephesians 5.18, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the the, the, verb of, the tense of this verb means to go on being filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. To continue being filled. Go on. Continually. It's worth pointing out, he's talking to Christians here. Who have received the Holy Spirit. He says, hey Christians, you who are filled with the Holy Spirit... Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us in Luke 13 that when we ask for that gift, God will give that gift. That's a promise. He says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I would wager there's some of us here today who have never asked Him Never asked him. Maybe there's multiple reasons for that. Maybe it is a general aversion to the Holy Spirit. Maybe because of some past church experience where he was treated as a spiritual ATM or whatever it is. Maybe we've just never made a commitment to God at all. The Bible is clear. All of the Christian life is of the Spirit. We can't do a single second of it without Him. He's not a force, He's a person. He is God Himself and He's to be received by faith. And there's not one day we can live without Him. So, as I close, as we close, I'm just going to give you some time now just to pray. Pray to your Lord, pray to your Savior, pray that you'd be filled with the Spirit. Let me give you a few minutes of silence and then I'll close in prayer. Give some time now. You can shut your eyes as well. Lord Jesus, would you help us lay hold of this new freedom that we have in you? Lord, would we live out of this new verdict we have? A new pronouncement from the throne. That there is no condemnation, Lord. That there is no one left to condemn because you have died and risen again for our salvation. Help us lay hold of the new status we have, new location we have in Christ that we are defined by who it is we are joined to in faith Lord but today I pray as well that you would help us lay hold of the promise of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit Lord would you help us to receive that power to walk in that power Lord where we are resisting work in our life Lord lead us to repentance open up our eyes to see to see what it is that we are resisting you in then give us faith to walk in repentance Lord to lay it down at your feet Lord we know that you have come that you might make us like yourself you might write your law on our hearts. You might begin to transform our character so that day by day we respond to the world like you respond to the world. Your heart be- our heart beats with the same heartbeat that yours does. Lord, we want that. We want to love like you love. We want to hate sin like you hate sin. We want to be kind like you are kind. We want to be strong like you are strong. We want to be courageous like you are courageous. So I pray that day by day in the smallest of decisions we would submit to your Holy Spirit moment by moment you'd be transforming us from the inside out And we know that one day as Philippians says Lord that you'll bring to completion what it is you've started in us we look forward to that day in hope And yet today we pray you continue to grow our faith and our faithfulness. Lord, for those of us in this room who have yet to experience what it is to walk in the Spirit of God, Lord, I pray that you would fill them, Lord, you promise that you respond to that prayer. enough to receive your filling so Lord we thank you thank you that you go with us Lord you empower us that our weakness is just opportunity for you to show where our strength really comes from Lord, it's a wonderful privilege to get to walk in your Holy Spirit I pray that our church would continue to grow in this all these things in the name of Jesus, who has died for us. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Awesome. We're going to finish with um, uh, a hymn uh, this morning. Um, so, would you stand and let's let's give God some praise.